Coming up on Harvard Chan This Week in Health, taking aim at salt. High levels of sodium directly produce high blood pressure, and high blood pressure causes strokes and heart attacks. The new push to cut down on the amount of salt in many popular foods. Plus, combating Zika, how new research could offer hope for treating that virus and a range of other diseases. And this week, TV host John Oliver wiped out millions of dollars worth of medical debt, how he did it, and why so many people find themselves in debt. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. It's Friday, June 10th, 2016. I'm Noah Levitt. And I'm Amy Montemuro. Noah, the average American eats roughly 3,400 milligrams of sodium, or one and a half teaspoons of salt every day. That's much higher than the 2,300 milligrams recommended by the Food and Drug Administration. And the health impacts of that are serious because high levels of sodium can lead to high blood pressure, which raises a person's risk of heart disease and stroke. But now the FDA is taking action against salt by targeting one of the main sources of sodium in our diets, processed foods. They've released some voluntary sodium reduction guidelines for more than 150 categories of processed, prepared, or packaged foods, ranging from cheese to cereal. Frank Sachs, professor of cardiovascular disease prevention at the Harvard Chan School, says that these guidelines are a major step forward, especially because sodium is often hidden in foods that don't taste salty, like bread. And Sachs says that he thinks these voluntary guidelines will lead to changes in the food industry. They are exerting pressure on major players in the food industry to essentially do the right thing and produce healthier foods. And uh, they know well that sodium can be reduced uh, without affecting flavor or sales. In fact, it can be reduced a lot if they would uh, make up for the sodium by adding other types of herbs and spices. People don't really have to think much about the sodium content in the food if the, if the sodium content is voluntarily reduced. And salt isn't the only target of the FDA. The federal government is also taking aim at added sugars in food by adding that information to nutrition labels. Sachs says the fight to reduce salt and added sugar is similar to the successful push to ban trans fats. And the food industry initially resisted and resisted and said it's going to be too hard for them to do, to do it. We'll increase costs. They're not going to make... Uh, good-tasting food, you know, especially cakes and pastries and donuts and whatnot. Turned out that wasn't the case at all. Once they got to work and formulated it with, you know, with, with healthy fats, they could get rid of the trans fat. If you want to see the new sodium guidelines or learn some techniques for cutting the salt in your diet, visit our website, hsph.me slash thisweekinhealth. New research out this week shows that obesity is on the rise among women in America. The Center for National Health Statistics reported that 40% of women were obese in 2014, a 5% jump from 2005. The percentage of obese men remained steady at about 35%. A separate study out this week looked at obesity among children and teens and found that the obesity rate is at 17%. And while obesity rates have actually leveled off among younger children, the rate has been increasing among those between 12 and 19 years old. Researchers in Brazil are attempting to reassure athletes and fans ahead of the upcoming Summer Olympics. In recent weeks, there have been calls to move or cancel the games due to the Zika virus concerns. But scientists in Sao Paulo predict that the Olympics will result in no more than 15 Zika infections among foreign visitors. That's according to a Reuters analysis of their data. One thing researchers did not take into account, however, the potential risk of a traveler taking the virus back to their home country. Now, U.S. epidemiologists have looked at this and said Olympic visitors represent just one quarter 
of 1% of the total risk of spreading Zika through air travel. Meanwhile this week, researchers are shedding light on how we may be able to battle Zika and other diseases in the future. Scientists at UMass Medical School say a small protein called interferon-induced protein 3, or IFIT-M3, we have in our bodies can reduce the ability of Zika to infect cells in both humans and mice. They found that this protein essentially toughens up the skin of a cell, making it harder for the virus to get to the interior of the cell and cause infection. The study's senior author, Abraham Brass, says we're still a few years away from using this on patients. But what's exciting, says Brass, is that this discovery could also be useful in preventing other viruses, such as Ebola and dengue. And what we found looking at where they stopped the viruses is they stopped them very early. And that's kind of cool because the virus doesn't even get a chance to get into the cell proper, into the cytoplasm, and get replicating. So it's a good time to stop the virus before it even gets entrenched in, in, inside of the cell. The other thing that was, we thought was really cool about this is that the viruses don't get stuck on the surface and just bump to the next cell in terms of, uh, in terms of infecting the organism. But instead, the cell allows the virus to enter, because these viruses enter through endocytosis, go into the cell in like a bubble, and then before the viruses can fuse into the cytoplasm, the iPhonems stop them. And the other thing that would be neat about that is that if you had an unknown virus, like an emerging virus, then and you didn't know that much about it, you could still try to use this because the odds are that most of the viruses that enter through endocytosis get blocked by this. Brass says that some people have a genetic variation of this IFID-M3 protein, which makes them more susceptible to severe cases of the flu. He says that this new research suggests that it may be important to test whether this variation has any effect on a person's risk for Zika infection and associated birth defects. When you're thirsty, you go and get some water. It sounds simple, right? Well, not for many students in Massachusetts schools. Researchers at the Harvard Chan School looked at 59 Midland high schools across Massachusetts and found that less than half met federal requirements for free water access during lunch. Moreover, a third of schools provided only bottled water for purchase, and in a quarter of schools there was no water at all in cafeterias. We spoke about this study with lead author Erica Kenny, a postdoctoral fellow at the Harvard Chan School. She says that this is concerning because her previous research has shown that more than half of all kids in the U.S. are not adequately hydrated. Giving kids something as essential as water should just be a given. Like, it should be free. It shouldn't be something that you have to pay extra for. We forget as adults that it's, like, easy for us to go get a drink of water when we're thirsty. Um, we don't have to ask someone whether we can go to the bathroom, usually. We don't have to ask someone whether we can go to the water fountain or something like that. But kids do. And we put them in these buildings all day. And so if they don't have easy access to drinking water, they just can't get it, and they can get thirsty. Kenny says many schools around the country are facing infrastructure problems, such as aging pipes and water fountains, that lead to limited water access. But Kenny says some school districts are offering creative solutions. For example, in New York City, many schools have installed chilled water dispensers right in lunch lines so students can fill up reusable bottles or cups. We thought, well, instead of collecting on the money, why not forgive it? Because on one hand, it's obviously the right thing to do, but much more importantly, we'd be staging the largest one-time giveaway in television show history. Finally, this episode, you may have heard about this. John Oliver, the host of the HBO show Last Week Tonight, made headlines by wiping out millions of dollars of medical debt for thousands of Americans. 
Oliver created a company called Central Asset Recovery Professionals, or CARP, named after a bottom-feeding type of fish. He then bought nearly $15 million worth of medical debt at pennies on the dollar, just about $60,000. Oliver partnered with a nonprofit that forgives all medical debt without any tax consequences. So we were interested in learning more about the scope of the medical debt problem in the U.S., so we spoke to Ashish Jha, KT Lee Professor of Health Policy at the Harvard Chan School and Director of the Harvard Global Health Institute. That $15 million in debt that Oliver wiped out was around $1,600 per person. And Jha says that amount of debt is actually very common. One of the reasons that uh, we passed the Affordable Care Act was because a lot of people um, were getting into issues with debt and losing their homes and losing their life savings. Uh, medical debt was the number one reason for bankruptcy in the U.S. Uh, the Affordable Care Act, I think, has helped in terms of reducing that, but it still remains an issue for a lot of people, not just for people who, are, who remain uninsured, uh, but for even for people who have health insurance. Often they have very high deductible health plans and just have not saved the money they need to make payments for those health care services. For the first time ever, about 50 million Americans are now in high deductible health plans. And what that means is that the first three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 is coming out of their pockets. Uh, a lot of people don't have $5,000 of savings sitting in a bank account. And so if they are going to have to get a test or a procedure that's going to cost several thousand dollars, they are genuinely stressed about that because it's coming out of their pocket. They can go on from year to year because you can reset and then you get another $5,000 debt next year that you don't, they haven't paid off. And then you, you take it out as a credit card loan and now you're paying substantial interest on it. So there's all sorts of ways in which people can get into trouble. Joss says he hopes that growing concerns around medical debt and high deductible insurance plans will spur health care providers to lower costs for procedures and services. And if you want to see the full episode of Last Week Tonight, where John Oliver wiped out all that medical debt, we'll have a link on our website, hsph.me slash thisweekinhealth. And, and not health-related, but perhaps notable, John Oliver now has technically the biggest giveaway in TV history because Oprah many years ago gave away $7 million worth of cars, so he beat Oprah in a sense. Not not bad competition to have there. And it, it was you know it was an interesting way to kind of address a serious issue in kind of a fun uh, showmanship manner. So I do recommend people head to the website, watch the full clip. It's about twenty minutes long. Um, definitely worth watching and checking out. And that's all for Harvard Chan this week in health. I'm Noah Levitt, and I'm Amy Montemiro. You can always find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. 